Would you please remain standing for more longer for the reading of God's word? We're actually going to turn to Matthew chapter one, not Matthew chapter two, as the bulletin says. Matthew one. We're going to read verses eighteen through twenty-five. This is the word of our Lord, Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus." This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would speak to us, even as we consider your word this morning, for asking in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The, uh, the Christmas season is a great time of the year. Uh, it was, at least in my growing up, uh, we would go to Grandma's house. It was summer. Uh, I grew up below the equator. It was summer, it was a break from school, all the cousins would get together. Uh, where I grew up, Christmas light weren't that common, so we'd go hunting for Christmas light and have competitions, and the smells at Grandma's house, all kinds, it was just a great time of the year, and, and to this day, it still feels that way. The homes are decorated in special ways, people are excited, and we get to go to lots of parties, and it should be that way. Because this is the celebration of the greatest event in the history of the universe. It is such a great event that even the world that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ feels compelled to celebrate it. It's so obvious that the greatest thing in history happened 2,000 years ago that everyone seems to be compelled to celebrate it. Now... All this celebration, all this excitement is meaningless if we don't know why Christ's birth was so important. And that's what we're going to consider this morning. Why was Christ's birth so important? Christ was born into a broken world, a world marred by sin, to a people utterly corrupted by sin who did not want anything to do with him. When we understand the brokenness and limitation of the human condition, we can really understand what Paul said concerning Christ 
in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, where he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. When we understand what sin has done to us and how sin separates us from God, then we become very thankful and excited about Christ's mission as reported to us in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, by the angels to Joseph. For he will save his people from their sins. That's why Christ came. Came to save his people from their sins. He didn't come to make your life better. He didn't come to give you everything you want. He didn't come to give you the perfect marriage. He didn't come to provide for you financially. He didn't come to remove every struggle of life. He came to save his people from their sins. And if you're interested in Christ for any other reason than that, then you have a faith that is questionable. Because his mission was to save you from your sins. We're actually going to be considering this one verse, and it's not in Matthew chapter 1. It's actually in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. The verse I just read, where Paul there again says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul is talking about, speaking about the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the fact that God the Son took upon himself a human nature to become like us. It's interesting that he's not talking about Christians in Christmas in 2 Corinthians 8. He's talking about generosity. But the incarnation, the, the enfleshment, the becoming like one of us is so important in everything Christian that it permeates everything that we do. So why is it that we are generous people? Because Christ became flesh for us. That's the argument that Paul makes. And now, and what does he say concerning Christ? First he says that he was rich. In what ways? Well, he was rich in his existence. He pre-existed. We tend to think of Jesus being born in Bethlehem as the beginning of the life of the Son of God, but that is not the case. God the Son has always existed in the fullness of God. And that's a rich existence. The Apostle John says in, first John, in, in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Matthew in talking about the basis, the biblical basis for the virgin conception, says that this is done so that the prophecy might be fulfilled, that the virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son, and his name shall be Emmanuel, God, with us. That is the existence of the Son, rich in his existence, but he's also rich in his possessions. In Psalm 50, the psalmist is dealing with the people who think that God needs them. 
that somehow God needs the puny sacrifices in order to survive. And God says, look, I don't need anything that you have for the cattle in the thousand hills are mine. And what he means by that, he means that every last thing in universe is his. That's who Christ is. He's rich in his possessions. And why is that? Why is it that he owns everything? Well, because he is rich in power and he created everything. Nothing exists that the Son did not create. Paul, in one of his great passages about Christ in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. That's everything that's in heaven, everything that you can see in the skies, everything that's on earth was created by the sun. And just in case we think that there's something out there that wasn't created by Jesus, Paul continues, things visible and invisible. So anything that falls in the category of what you can't see and what you can't see was created by Jesus. Principality, uh, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He created all things. He's the goal of all things. Creation exists to honor him. And that's another way that he's rich in his honor. All the angelic beings have spent their time from creation on worshiping the Son. You all familiar with uh, Isaiah chapter 6, <coughs> where... We have this vision and when King Uzziah died and Isaiah finds himself in the temple. And he has a vision where the temple becomes a palace and the most holy place becomes the throne room. And in the throne room, he sees this one sitting on the throne and you see these amazing, awful, and I mean that full of awe, creatures surrounding the throne. And all they do day and night is say, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. And in John chapter 12, John tells us that what, I, what Isaiah saw there was Jesus Christ on the throne. Even before he became flesh like us. All the most powerful angelic creatures honoring him. In John 17, Jesus prays for himself and he prays this, I have glorified you on earth, I have finished the work with which you have given to me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He was rich in honor. And he, the thing he was richest in was in love. The Trinity, God, Father, and Holy, Holy Spirit, per, in perfect unity, in perfect Union in perfect love with one another, completely satisfied in their relationship. Don't buy, if somebody tells you that God really needs you, don't buy that. God is completely happy with Himself. He's always been. He did not create us because somehow He was lonely and needed somebody to play with. That's, when we think of God that way, we're making God after our own image. We're not letting God 
be God because he was rich in love for himself with one another. God could have gone forever without creating us and still be completely content and satisfied and full of love for himself there. Jesus says in John 14, when he's teaching the disciples, he says, The world may not know that I love the Father. He loves the Father. In John 15, he says, As the Father loved me, I also love you. The Father loves the Son, and the Spirit loves the Father and the Son. And out of this rich state, Jesus Christ became poor, as Paul tells us. And the becoming poor here is described as he's taking upon himself a human nature, becoming like one of us, yet without sin. You can imagine what may have gone through the angels' minds in heaven when the announcement came out. God the Son is going to become like one of those humans. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, um, English preacher of the 19th century, says that the angels may have thought something like this. What? Is it true that he whose crown is all adorned with stars would lay that crown aside? What? Is it, is it certain that he about whose shoulders is cast the purple of the universe is going to become a man dressed in a peasant's garment? Can it be true that he who is everlasting and immortal is one day going to be nailed to the cross? That's how shocking the idea that God the Son would take upon himself the nature of a human being like you and like me. Think about the infinite step downward that the Son of God took at the Incarnation. The infinite God became a baby. He who sustains the universe by the word of his power. Everything works because Christ speaks into the universe. It doesn't take a lot of effort. He just speaks, and every every molecule stays together. The gravity works. Planets keep their distance. The stars functions as stars. The ladybug crawls as a ladybug because Jesus speaks. And he who sustains the universe by the word of his power became dependent on Mary for susness. He who created all things must receive, must be carried around by his earthly parents. He left the courts of heaven for a cattle stall. And upon being born, he was laid upon on a feeding trough. From his infancy, he was persecuted by men, even those he came to save. He had to flee to Egypt as a baby. You have the penalty that all those babies in Bethlehem paid for the wickedness of Herod and the persecution of the Son of God. He faced the miseries of growing up under sinful parents in a parched piece of land in a forsaken part of the world. The one who owned the cattle on a thousand hills became dependent on the charity of others for food and for what to drink. He looked at the fox He looked at the birds and saw them going to their burrows and their nests. And the reality that he himself did not have a place to lay his head became even more vivid for him. He who once had been waited upon by the most powerful angels became the servant's servant 
and girded himself with a towel and washed his disciples' feet, including the feet of the one that was going to betray him. He was once honored by all the angelic beings, is now spit upon and despised. He who was loved by the Father cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He who was rich became poor. Paul elaborates on that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and following, where he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. How do you do that? By becoming like you and me. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Do you see the depths of his poverty? He who was rich became poor. Now, as you go on with this season, Christmas season, I don't want you to just think about his birth. Don't think just about his birth. Think of all his, that his birth represents. Think of his life. Follow him up Gethsemane with Peter, James, and John. As he sheds tears and sweats, as it were, blood, while he contemplates what is ahead of him. Go with him to the governor's palace, where he was mercilessly whipped by vicious Roman soldiers. Look at his marred face as they pushed a crown of thorns down his brow. Consider the height of his poverty as nails are driven through his wrists and as through his ankles. And, he, as, and as he hung on the cross, shamefully naked. That is the depth of his poverty that his birth led him to. And why did he do that all? Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Why did he leave the course of heaven and all its richness and became poor? <coughs> Jesus himself says this in Mark 10:45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Why did he leave his riches? Paul says, for our sakes, for the sake of his church. And if you are believing in Jesus Christ, he did that for you. Our, in the beginning, in, in, in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, refers to those who put their lives in the hands of Jesus, those who have known the grace of our Lord in the beginning of the verse. He did it because we couldn't do it. That's why he did it. And that is what should happen to us. What happened to him is what should have happened to us, and he took it upon himself. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, but he, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirits. Friends, people of God, young and old, let this thought sink in you. He was rich, but for our sake... He became poor. 
Can you say that? He was rich, for, but for my sake, he became poor. He lured himself to become like us and died our death and bore the sentence due to our sins. So that we say, I am the chief of sinners, yet for my sake, he died. Early in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he who was rich for our sakes became poor, so that through his poverty we would be made rich. Not with silver or gold or precious metals, but with something much more precious. We're made rich with eternal life. Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And he says, these words are spiritual words. If you believe in me, I'll give you eternal life. And this is eternal life, Jesus says, that they may know you, talking to the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. His coming down to our level enables those who trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins to come to God. God in Christ calls us to himself and adopts us as his children and gives us an inheritance, heaven itself, an eternal life in the presence of his glory. And there's no greater rich than this one. Eternal life in the presence of his glory. And he adopts all who trust in Christ for the complete forgiveness of their sins. And that's why the Apostle John could say in John 3 verse 16, that God loved the world in this manner. What's the manner? That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. And in his poverty, God exalted the, our Christ, our Lord. In Philippians 2, Paul concludes that great hymn of the faith in verse 9 through 11 by saying, Therefore, because Christ humbled himself, because Christ who was rich became poor, God also has highly exalted him. And give him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven, and of those on earth, and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <coughs> the one who saves you is exalted above all. Paul says in Ephesians that the Father, because of his obedience, has given all things and put all things under Jesus' feet. And he's given him to be the head of the church. And he's coming again for his church. Brother, sister, he's coming again for us. We are sojourners. We're pilgrims on this life. We're looking for that new Jerusalem that comes from above. We're waiting for the one who once was rich, became poor, and now is exalted again, with whom we're going to spend eternity in heaven. We're waiting for Him. And we're waiting for that love to be manifested to us by the resurrection of our bodies. And we're waiting to see Him as He is, for we will be like Him. We were going to have our another birth, as it were, another physical birth in which our bodies are rid of sin. And our body and soul perfectly are able to worship our Lord. But notice that Paul says that every knee will bow to that one who once was rich, became poor for our sakes, 
but then was enthroned in heaven, all richness again. Every day, some, a multitude that cannot be counted according to the book of Revelation, are bowing their knees under the weight of the grace of God as God changes their hearts and they're able to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's us who believe in Jesus Christ. We're, he graciously changed our hearts and we willingly bow our knees to Him through faith. But there will be those that will refuse to do that in this life. And their knees will be bowed, they'll be bent under the sheer weight of His wrath as that wrath is poured upon them because they have no one pleading for them before the Father like we do in the Lord Jesus Christ. By the end of the day, there will be no knee that's left straight. Every knee will bow to Jesus Christ, the one who was rich and who for our sakes became poor in the incarnation, in the enfleshment of the Son with a human nature, and who again was brought back to glory and now reigns over His church, and He's going to come back for His church and to judge the world. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Is that you? If it is, rejoice. Your Savior lives, and you're rich in him. Do you believe in this? If you do, then you are a child of the King and a co-heir of Jesus Christ of all things. May God grant us all this conviction that he became poor for our sakes. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that you are a God who is in the business of saving people. Father, we thank you that you've saved us and you united us to your Son and your Spirit. We pray that we rejoice in that. We thank you that your Son became like one of us, lived a life that we are not capable of living, a perfect life of obedience to you, died a death that we deserved, was separated from you so that we did not have to be separated from you, and came back to life so that we could have newness of life. We thank you for your son. We thank you for his mission. And we thank you for his ministry. Father, we pray that we live every moment of our day, every moment of our lives, knowing that by your grace we have been saved through Jesus Christ. And that we would be looking forward to that eternal home. We pray that the Lord Jesus will come quickly. And as we wait for him, enable us to be faithful to you and to your word as we live in this broken world, longing for the renewed world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.